Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, uh, movement, a real, I think, what feels like the start of a political movement in this country in the wake of the Parkland shooting. You know, we've had, we, you and I have, have covered all too many uh, of these of these school shootings, of these mass shootings outside of schools. Um, and we've seen the major calls for uh, for changes, whether it be in how we deal with mental health or gun control. Uh, this one feels different. It does feel different. And I would caveat all of it to say that they always feel different until they don't feel different anymore. And the, the, the news cycle moves on. But there's a couple of things I think that make this one different. One is you have... Uh, uh, victims that are high school students. Uh, they're old enough to give voice to their concerns, and they've done so very effectively. Sandy Hook, those were grade school kids. They were not able to go on television and go on marches. Right now, you have a very a visual and visible representation of the frustrations, and, and they're turning into action in just a few short days, and all in the space of a week. Uh, these, these teenagers have uh, turned from regular high school students into political activists in a, in a very effective and compelling way. I think the, the, the weight of, uh, of continued frustration over these shootings. We just a couple of months ago had the biggest mass shooting in U.S. history in Las Vegas. These school shootings, as you mentioned, become far too, uh, far too common. And I think you, t- you layer on top of that a president who, uh, while he, he ran with the very strong support of the NRA, uh, hasn't always been a gun rights supporter necessarily. And uh, hey, as part of a country. He assault weapons ban back in 2000. It's in print. It's in his right. book. And let's, let's be clear. This is a guy that used to give money to a lot of Democrats. And, and it, by all Chuck accounts. Schumer, that's right. Hillary Clinton. Just to name a few. Yeah. By all accounts, John, and you know, you're you're over there talking to the people around him. He seems actually affected by this, and has that's been what talking we're told. About. We I have to say we haven't really seen that in his public posture. I mean, he did do that one message uh, the day after the shooting, where he didn't really mention guns. The word "gun" didn't come yeah. out of his mouth. That's right. And um, you know, he went on a Twitter tirade over the following weekend that spent a lot more time talking about Russia than about uh, about gun violence. So, I, you know, I need to kind of see it, and we'll see as he gathers uh, uh, this afternoon with uh, with high school students, including uh, you know teachers, parents, including some from from Parkland, and we're told Columbine, um, Sandy Hook. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but we're told he's affected, and we're told that he's actually considering some gun measures. But do you think, and I don't know the answer to this. This is yeah. not a rhetorical question. I, I, I genuinely want to know your 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 view on this, because uh, I am not sure. Do you think that this president, who boasted about being the strongest NRA uh, supporter ever elected uh, president, but who also, as you pointed out, uh, supported gun control in his earlier uh, uh, political iterations. Do you think that this president is the one that is going to stand up, is going to be the Republican president to stand up to the NRA? I find it doubtful. I think he is certainly casting about for some solutions, and I think the listening session can be instructive in, in all of that. I think he's also a man who, while he'll ponder a bunch of things publicly, when he's told privately, uh, has a, another argument presented to him privately, could easily flip and move that move right back. And, and there's a lot of different voices in his ear. I do want to I do want to play because I think it's worth dissecting what he said yesterday. Um, in, uh, in he, he signed a memorandum that. Uh, would begin the process of ban- banning the so-called bump stocks. This is a big issue after the Las Vegas shooting, as you know, that it makes semi-automatic weapons essentially operate like automatic weapons. And this is what he said about the need to take action. We must move past cliches and tired debates and focus on evidence-based solutions and security measures that actually work. 
So cliches and tired debates. Now he's having a listening session. I can't think of anything more cliche. Well, that didn't sound Churchillian. No, it didn't. It, that, that's my point. So the the, the cliche. There wasn't a lot of passion. <laughs> this didn't sound like you know. Going through the motions there, winders, maybe, uh, yeah. It sounded like he was reading something. I think that's right. And I think starting with a listening session, there's nothing more cliched to my mind than that. Well, actually, thoughts and prayers are more cliched than, than listening sessions in the, in the wake of tragedy. Uh, but I, I don't I, – I think there are certainly some areas where – For the record, know, I support thoughts, prayers, and listening, just for the is record. That, is that you're down there? All right. The, uh, the, the, the Mr. Carl is on the record. I, I think he – I think he is – he is clearly, as he looks for solutions on this, there are some low-hanging fruit. There's some easy things here. Bump stocks, we thought were ba- going to get banned after the last time. Fixing some of the things in the background check system, there's a, there's a bill that Senator Cornyn has sponsored with, with Senator Murphy. So where I see this heading is that President Trump is able to say, I signed historic gun control legislation, but he does it, it, it it's minor enough that there's a wink-wink and a nudge-nudge to the NRA and to the Second Amendment base that's... And, and that a point says, of fact, you know, Obama failed at all that stuff. Sure, I mean, you know, yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't do, you know, I mean, background checks. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't pass a damn thing. Now, that's because you had a Republican Congress that was going to oppose him on absolutely anything, especially anything related to guns. Yeah. And I, I wonder, too, now, the, a lot of this has to, has to then hinge on the president's own focus, because this comes in the midst of new Mueller indictments and the, the, the drumbeat from that investigation. Oh, yeah, those Russian continue, indictments. Yeah. It's still out there. And, and, and over the weekend, you could tell, as the president was holed up at, at Mar-a-Lago, not playing much golf, maybe in, in, in light of the tragedy in Florida, um, very close to his own estate, actually, he, uh, he seemed to conflate the two issues on Twitter and and suggest that uh, that uh, maybe the FBI wasn't as focused as it needed to be because they were because they were too busy things. trying to find Russian collusion. Yeah, yeah. that was amazing. I, you know, I asked Sarah Sanders about that. Let's play a little bit of that. First, a clarification from some of the president's tweets over the weekend. The president doesn't really think that the FBI failed to stop the Parkland shooter because it was too involved with the Russia investigation, does he? I I think he was speaking uh, not necessarily that that is the the, the cause. I think we all um, have to be aware that the cause of this is that of a deranged individual uh, that made a decision to take the lives of 17 other people. Um, That is the responsibility of the shooter, um, certainly not the responsibility of anybody else. So did he miss tweet when he said that? He's pretty direct. He says, this is not acceptable. They are spending too much time trying to prove Russia. I think he's making the point that we would like our FBI agencies to to not be focused on something that is clearly a a hoax in terms of investigating the Trump campaign and its involvement. It's clearly a hoax. Clearly a hoax. Not necessarily. So it was a walk that, back, though. That was a walk yeah. back. I mean, not it seemed like a walk that back. That the cause. Not necessarily that is the cause. With yes. the president, I, I th- this uh, th- to my mind, you're in the room. Sarah Sanders seemed really uncomfortable with this line of questioning. Uh, yeah, th- I went on, and and I, you know, she's she doesn't get rattled. Unlike, remember her predecessor? Would I, quite do, I do. I do. <laughs> what was that guy's name again? Spicy. Um, and uh, you know, Sarah's Sarah does not get rattled. Uh, she's uh, she's pretty tough, and it and she moves things along so quickly uh, during the course of your typical briefing that there are it's really difficult to get follow up questions in. But as I pressed, I I just I don't know something kind of came over. I really I really and I believe me, I had like ten more follow-up <laughs> questions on this line of questioning. But as it turned from 
guns and the FBI's uh, mishandling to this question of Russia, um, I, I had been struck that shortly before I was questioning her, she said it's very clear that Russia meddled in the election. Now, she also said, of course, the other part, which is no evidence that it had any impact and no collusion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a very direct statement. There is no question Russia meddled in the election. Struck me as far more definitive on that point than the president himself has been. So I pressed the issue. The evidence is there that, that the Russians interfered with our election. I said that the Russian campaign interfered and but, but colluded with this investigation with it. is obviously about what Russia uh, did and the raises the question now that you've said the president agrees, the national security advisor says the evidence is incontrovertible, uncontrovertible, what is the president going to do about it? What is he specifically doing about the fact that Russia interfered with our election and has every intention, we are told, of doing it again? What is he doing about it? Look, uh, just last week, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nelson uh, met with a number of relevant stakeholders. They're discussing this process and going through and looking every single day at the best ways forward. Everybody wants to blame this on the Trump administration. Let's not forget that this happened under the Obama administration. It happened over a year ago. What's he done about it? Uh, we have spent a lot of time working uh, on cybersecurity, focusing on protecting uh, the fairness on our elections. and. As I just said, the Department of Homeland Security um, met with state and local officials just um, over the last several weeks, along with election vendors, to make sure that our election system is secure. Uh, last week, they met with uh, state and private officials on how best to secure uh, the election system from foreign interference. We're not the only targets of foreign interference, and we're working with our allies on the daily basis to make sure that we're following best practices. This has been a topic of conversation with multiple foreign heads of state. Uh, President Trump and the administration have made it clear that interference in our elections will have consequences, and we're going to continue uh, to impose consequences in response to Russian cyber attacks. Just last week, we called out Russia by name. It was one of the first times that you've seen something like that take place. We're going to continue doing things the like that. He hasn't even called out Putin. He criticized Obama. He criticized the FBI. He didn't even criticize Vladimir Putin. He has been tougher on Russia. Uh, in the first year than Obama was in eight years combined. He's imposed sanctions. He's taken away properties. He's rebuilt our military. He has done a number of things to put pressure on Russia and to be tough on Russia. Um, just last week, there was an incident uh, that will be reported in the coming days in another way that this president was tough on Russia. So she, she did seem a little flustered there. But and, and what the heck was that? I mean, just last week, there was an incident that will be reported in the coming days. That's, I mean, it was like it was almost like read into the into the eight ball, I, you know. I, and I, 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 my first thought was that's like, oh, my girlfriend time, who time you know, will tell. my girlfriend who lives in Canada that you haven't met yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's out there. She's great. Yeah, she's I, I, you know, I I think look in the president's own mind, it does come down to toughness often. Often, and it's easy to dismiss what he's saying, but you know, in, in point of fact, he's actually done things that are tougher on Russia than his words are on Russia. He doesn't say bad things about Vladimir Putin, but if you look purely at the actions of this administration, Putin probably isn't all that happy with everything he's seen. Uh, but but none of that squares with with the with what the president continues to say, not just about the Russia investigation, but about Russia generally. And that that to me makes these answers very awkward uh, and will continue to be awkward. That we have been told repeatedly by everyone up and down the intelligence agencies, inside and outside government, the Russians uh, meddled in the election and are 
doing it again. They're doing it again actively now. This should set off big sirens. The special counsels indicted a bunch of Russian actors for various practices, and and, uh, this was a a major concerted effort. And the president continues to say that any investigation of that effort is a hoax and does not say bad things about the man behind the effort, Vladimir Putin. Those things just on their face are tough to explain for the White House. Yeah, it it is striking, and this is on so many things involving this White House. You have what the what this administration is actually doing, and you have what the president is saying. And I think you can make a case, and we can debate this, but you can, you could make an argument, I think a legitimate argument, a debatable one, but you can make an argument that this administration has been tougher on Russia than the Obama administration. Now, before you jump all over me... What? What yeah, are come you on. talking about, John? Uh, I, 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 I think you can make an argument. You can look at... Uh, uh, I mean, Syria is, a, Syria is one example. Um, the, uh, the both, both administrations were faced with chemical weapons attacks in Syria, uh, a client state of Russia, obviously, and, uh, you know, Obama blinked, Trump bombed. Um, he's been uh, he's 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 shipped uh, offensive weapons uh, uh, to uh, to Ukraine. Something that uh, is uh, something the Russians are very upset about, and that Obama refused to do. Obama was very tough rhetorically on Vladimir Putin. He did lead the, the effort to impose sanctions along with our European allies in the wake of the Crimea invasion. But other than that, I think you're a little hard pressed to find a place where President Obama took an actual fight of substance to Vladimir Putin. Now, all of that said, there is this oddity, and it is an oddity, that this president says nothing critical of Vladimir Putin. I mean, it is it is just it is mind blowing. He doesn't even do the Obama body language thing or no. the side eye thing. Oh, he does his whole smiles <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the shot in the Oval Office with Kislyak and yeah. Lavrov all yucking it up and laughing. I mean, he seems to pal around with the Russians. His administration takes some tough measures. Now, I know, in, I know you're about to mention it, so I'll sanctions. just yeah, sanctions. Okay, so sanctions. Yes, it's true. Now, we've heard from Mnuchin and we've heard from Tillerson that the Russian sanctions are coming. Uh, and they haven't rolled back, by the way, the sanctions that Obama, that Obama imposed. imposed. And, and by the way, sanctions that Obama imposed, and, and, and I'm surprised you didn't already yell at me about that, but he imposed them after the election. The president didn't do anything actively to prevent the Russian meddling during the election, and they had we had evidence. Well, that nothing was publicly. No, he, 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 there they were there were measures taken, but they didn't happen publicly. We didn't. We don't know what was. We don't know everything. We don't, we, know. We don't know. We don't know. Right. We don't know what we don't know in this case. I look. I. I, I think in trying to figure out the conundrum of President Trump, he clearly has respect for Vladimir Putin just as a strong human being and someone that he feels like he gets, that he kind of speaks the language of. Uh, but if Rides if, that horse. Right. You know. If Putin, though, if Putin's goal, and President Trump, I think, would agree with this, and, and Obama would as well, if Putin's goal was to, to create and sow discord inside uh, the American political process, man, did he win. He, the president get, tweeted that. Have you been reading the president's tweets again? He I, tweeted every exactly once in a while. that. Well, but but you see, it beyond his wildest dreams. I think is what the president. I, and said. I would I would argue that Hillary Clinton and her campaign and lots of Democrats would agree with with that exactly. That that's that's the big takeaway in this is that he got his money's worth. So yeah, a bunch of guys get indicted. They'll never get convicted anyway. You're not going to be able to get them back to the United States. And sure, there'll be new rounds of sanctions. But it, 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 this is an ongoing issue. And and Putin won us zero. Wow. 
That's pretty good, Rick. Um, all right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to a Republican candidate for Senate out in Arizona who is making a lot of waves, Rick. We'll be back with Powerhouse Politics in just a minute. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? (laughs) No. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba, Ariana Huffington, Issa Rae, Barbara Corcoran, Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. All right, joining us now in Powerhouse Politics is Kelly Ward, candidate for Senate in the great state of Arizona. Uh, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's great, great to be with you guys. So, so let me ask you, I, I know uh, Steve Bannon was out there introducing you when you launched your can- candidacy uh, back in October, uh, but President Trump has not endorsed you. In fact, I see him spending a lot of time around Martha McSally. Of course, he's uh, been, been tight with, uh, with Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Um, the, uh, the the Republican senators from your state, uh, the current senators, uh, Jeff Flake and, and John McCain, kind of paint you as as out of the mainstream, as an extremist. Uh, you don't have any support from from that part of the uh, Republican establishment either. Uh, can you really win this without the support of Donald Trump? Oh, you know, we, we really are winning in Arizona. You mentioned Martha. She's definitely in the mold of John McCain and Jeff Flake. That brand of politics has been rejected in Arizona. We saw that with Flake. You know, I was up by 30 points on him him in October, and he decided not to seek reelection because people are looking in Arizona and across the country for bold, fresh leaders, true conservatives who will go to Washington, D.C. and uh, do the job that simply isn't being done. It hasn't been done by... Senator McCain or Senator Flake. It hasn't been done by Martha McSally. So why Joe's never been never been in legislative office? He's been a law enforcer, not a lawmaker. So the the path is set for me to be able to become the next senator from Arizona. But but why is President Trump refusing to support your candidacy? Uh, you know, I'm very pleased that he came out and did a very, very supportive tweet of me, said that he was glad that I was running. I have I've met with President Trump. He is uh, uh, very positive towards me. And, you know, he's, he's not coming out for anyone at this point. Then the most important voters, I mean, the most important endorsement that you can get is from the voters. And I definitely have that. All right, before I, I know Rick wants to jump in here, but but one quick one on the issue of the day. We now hear out of the White House that the president, uh, first of all, has taken action to uh, to uh, ban bump stocks. We're told he's in favor of raising the age in which you can buy uh, an, an assault weapon. Uh, we're also uh, told he's uh, or he himself has talked about strengthening background checks. Um, is it time for some sensible gun control in the wake of this tragedy, yet another mass shooting in America? You know, it's, it's a heartbreaking event. When you look at the faces of those kids who were involved, the parents who lost their children, and even when you look at, at the shooter, your heart just has to break because we've fallen down as a society. We let that kid down. He, he's been crying out for help basically for his entire life. 
and he's been pushed aside and pushed aside and pushed aside to the point that he created uh, havoc and did you know, committed this horrific act. And, you know, what I think we need to be looking at is the mental health issue, not only in the adult population, but also in kids. We have to be trying to find ways to connect people so that they don't feel that utter loneliness and that um, just the, the despair that is, is playing on that kid's face. We have to also be looking at bullying behavior and finding ways to root that out so that our kids are growing up in a safer safer, healthier, happier environment so that we don't get to this point uh, again and again and again in our country. But as you know, President Trump has already said he wants to get, go bigger than that. He, he said yesterday, we want to move past cliche and tired debates. Uh, he's got this listening session uh, at the White House today already, as John mentioned. He signed this memo beginning the process of banning bump stocks. There's talk about changing the uh, the age where you can purchase uh, assault-style weapons like the AR-15 that was used in this shooting. Uh, he is talking about uh, expanded background checks. Are are you on board for the kind of solutions on the gun side, leaving aside mental health side, on, for the kind of gun uh, side solutions that President well, Trump is talking about? You can't leave aside the mental health side. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that as a given. I'm taking that as a given that you're on board right, for that, right, as you, because you mentioned it. But the people who are committing these acts obviously have significant problems. They're not law-abiding gun owners, members of the NRA. They're outside the norm. And so we have to figure out the cause. As a physician, you know, I want the evidence that we can start looking for the cause so that we can start finding a cure to this. And, you know, I'm a proud supporter of the Second Amendment. I, um, I you know, I think that the uh, American citizen has the right to keep and bear arms to protect themselves and their families. And we all know that if someone wants to, to commit mayhem, they don't have to have a gun to do it. They can do it with a car. They can do it with a truck. They can do it with a bat. They can do it with a knife. And so we have to get to the root of the problem, and the root of the problem is mental health so, and mental illness. So just to be clear on it, is, is that a no to any new gun control measures, any new restrictions on well, gun I, ownership or, uh, or the ability to purchase firearms? I, you know, I think that we can look at the, the existing laws that we have on the books and see what's working and what's not. But making new gun laws doesn't seem to do much for the criminal or the mentally ill. It, uh, it just seeks to make it more difficult for law-abiding gun owners. Uh, you know, one thing that I, I am willing to consider is upping the age to buy a firearm. Um, I don't like to describe them the way that you did, but I think, you know, upping the age a bit to 21 before you can purchase a firearm is, is reasonable because I, as a parent, if I want to take my children out to the gun range to teach them how to properly handle firearms, I'm more than able to do that. But they don't need to be able to go and purchase one themselves, perhaps. Do you think President Trump would pay a political price if he were to come out? in favor of some stricter gun control, new laws, new laws that you just said are unnecessary? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess that remains to be seen. I know that he was one of the, uh, maybe the only, right, uh, um, presidential candidate endorsed by the NRA. I'm not sure which way that will go. I think the whole nation is looking for ways to solve this problem. And I, I think that really we are focusing on the mental health issues and on, uh, you know, I, I heard a story one of my, my Facebook friends posted about a teacher who since Columbine has been seeking out ways 
to root out loneliness and depression and sadness and bullying in her fifth grade classes. I think that's what we really need to be concentrating on. We're getting more and more disconnected with, you know, social media and the Internet. It's supposed to connect it, connect us, but it disconnects us. We have to find a way to get back to loving each other and connecting society as people and valuing life so that we don't see these horrific uh, events in our country anymore. But just about this, I mean, are there legislative solutions to loving each other? I mean, you see the students that are clamoring for action at the State House in Florida and now at the White House. They're not saying, let's let's come together and love. They're saying, we want action on guns. You're saying that's not... That, that's. I'm, I'm saying that there's, there's not a legislative solution. You can't legislate morality. That's something that we do in our homes. That's something that we do in our culture. That's something we do in our society so that we start valuing each other and valuing the life, lives of each other so that, that people um, don't, don't seek out ways to commit acts like this. Let me ask you about uh, another hot-button issue, immigration, very active issue in Arizona and, and get a lot of congressional attention right now. The president has set a date of March 5th for the expiration of the, the status of the so-called DREAMers. I know you've been on record saying that uh, you only want to deal with uh, the DREAMers or any class of people who are here illegally after you've dealt with the other issues around border security. But March 5th is the deadline, as you know. If it comes well, to March 6th... I think 6th, that's, a, that's actually a manufactured deadline, a, a manufactured crisis by the by the Democrats. What, no, because, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Um, the the, the this, deadline this is, you know... Been, but this has already been set aside by a judge, uh, and so there is time to work on this. But so we think, cannot talk about a permanent solution to the DACA problem that was created by Barack Obama and the parents who chose to break our laws to bring their children here until we secure the border. No, we have to fund and build the wall. We have to end the diversity lotto. We have to eliminate chain migration. We have to defund sanctuary cities. And we have to implement E-Verify so there is accountability for employers. And once we do that, then we can, and only that, can we start talking about a permanent solution for that population? As you know, in the though, meantime, the, the March 5th... I'm fine with a temporary solution um, to allow them to continue to work, to continue to go to school, to live without being in fear uh, while we secure our border. March 5th, as you know, is President Trump's deadline. He set that deadline, not any courts, not the Democrats. If it's March 6th, should and, and the president says they are not here legally, should they be deported? I don't think you can paint any population with a, a broad brush. I know that we hear all the time that everyone wants a solution to DACA. Well, maybe that's true, but some people want full deportation, others want full uh, citizenship, and everything in between. But we can't start talking about amnesty for that population, because that only makes a problem that's already bad much worse. Okay, so what does Kelly Ward want? Illegal immigration is costing our state $2.3 billion a year. In the country, it's costing $135 billion. That's unacceptable. So we've got to make changes, and the way we do it is first and foremost by securing the border. But what does Kelly Ward want? What would Kelly Ward do as senator is the question. These people are, under 1,000 of them that have applied for this this status, as of March 6th, it, it expires. What do you do with them? Should they be kept indefinitely, as President Obama did and as President Trump has continued, or do they lose that status and should they be should they be removed from the country? Well, obviously what I just said was I would propose a temporary status where they're able to work and go to school and live without being in fear as we propose a clean bill to secure the border. And not citizenship for 1.8 million people as President Trump has proposed. Um, no, that's where uh, one of the places where I veer away from what the president has proposed. So I do think that's a bargaining chip for him 
to start negotiations. And it has exposed the Democrats that they don't want to help the dreamer population in the way that they talk about on the campaign trail. People are tired of the, of the people who campaign one way and then legislate the opposite. In my case, we, hate, we in Arizona are tired of seeing campaign conservatism where people come to the state, they say what the, the voters want to hear, and they go to Washington, D.C. and join with the Democrats to push liberal progressive policies down the throats of the people in our state and in our country. And I'm sure that the Democrats are also uh, uh, upset by people who come in and say, we want to help all of these people. And when the president offers that very opportunity, they shun it and uh, disregard it for who knows what reason. So to your point about true conservatives, you're in town in Washington uh, in the next couple of days for CPAC, where there's a lot of conservatives who are, who are part of that. It's, uh, it's always uh, quite, a, uh, quite an exhibition. Uh, to, you, to the point about conservatism, though, broadly, you, you have President Trump. As you mentioned, he's, uh, he has offered up uh, the potential for citizenship for these um, undocumented dreamers. He is now talking about uh, new gun controls as, as part of uh, something he might support. And he's presided over a a tax cut that was a major increase to the deficit and a big spending bill where he linked arms with the Democrats over the objections of a whole lot of conservative Republicans, as as I'm sure you know, in getting the spending deal. Is President Trump a true conservative in your mind? I don't think that President Trump ran as a conservative. He ran as a Republican. He ran as as someone who was going to offer something different than what we've had for decade after decade after decade. And I've been very happy with what he's delivered. I think that the economy is growing. There's still more work to do, and I look forward to getting to D.C. to do it. Uh, you know, he's, he's said that we do not want Obamacare. We don't want socialized medicine as a physician, as a person with a master's of public health, as a person who's been involved in med- medical education for years, and as a person who's made health policy as a legislator. I can't wait to get to Washington, D.C. to continue to work on that problem that the Obama administration created. You know, we had Senator Rand Paul in Arizona just last week because he endorses me and he knows that we need conservative reinforcements for the president, for Senator Paul, for people like Senator Lee and Senator Cruz. And, you know, he said it makes a difference who you send up there. (laughs) If they don't have the courage of their convictions, they'll be a rubber stamp for leadership. Kelly will not be afraid of the establishment, and they will not boss her around, and they will not tell her what to do. That's what people in Arizona are looking for. Did I hear you say Trump, President Trump is not a conservative? I don't think he ran as a conservative. No, but, but I'm asking you, is President, Trump, is President Trump. Trump a conservative? I think he's done a lot of conservative things. I don't know. You'd have to ask him how he describes himself. I describe myself as a liberty-loving constitutional conservative Republican. And uh, okay. and I think we need more of those in Washington. All right, just one last question. We know you have to get back. Uh, you got a lot of campaigning to do. Um, I, I, a lot of people were a little taken aback when you um, said that uh, that John McCain should resign shortly after we learned of, of his uh, of his cancer. Um, some people thought that was a you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit abrupt, maybe a little classless. Um, I'm wondering where your thoughts are on that now. I mean, John McCain is somebody who's obviously served his country. He's a war hero. He's got a, a career of public service in Congress, serving the people of Arizona. Um, shouldn't John McCain be given the, uh, the the time to decide on his own terms uh, what he does in terms of uh, of his seat? Well, of course, my thoughts and prayers go out to Senator McCain and his family as he's battling this terrible, horrific 
debilitating cancer. And I hope that he has comfort and peace. Right now, what I'm focused on is the race that I'm in. I'm getting to Washington, D.C. to do the job that the people of Arizona and the people of our country want done. It isn't being done right now, and I look forward to getting there and doing it. But so do you regret uh, suggesting that he should resign? Well, um, unfortunately, some people have wrongly tried to tie Senator McCain's health issues to my political disagreements with him. No, no, I'm asking about what you said. Separate matters. Uh, You know, I, I, I said that anyone who can't do a job should consider stepping away if they aren't able to. And I think that that's a very reasonable position to have. Um, I think this is something that Senator McCain is going to have to consult with his doctors and his family and decide, and I'm not going to speculate on what he should or should not do. All right, Kelly Ward, candidate for Senate for the Republican nomination out in Arizona. Thank you for joining us on Power House Politics. Thanks for having me. So, um... Seemed a little walk back on the McCain stuff. Yeah, I think I'm being careful a little bit on that. But 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 she makes a, a really interesting point. I think about how the Republican Party has moved and the fact that Jeff Flake uh, was as unpopular is as unpopular as he was and, and forced out there. Uh, McCain and Flake are these you know, towering figures in Arizona politics, and and particularly for Flake, a newfound big national voice uh, in in Republican politics in Washington. But you've got the three biggest candidates uh, in 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 that for that Republican nomination. Nomination, Kelly Ward, Martha McSally, the, the congresswoman, uh, and Joe Arpaio, the sheriff, uh, former sheriff of Maricopa County, who's very close to President Trump. They are all competing to be uh, as close to Trump as they can be. None of them, I would posit, want the endorsement of either McCain or Flake. Really interesting when you think about it. This is not some battle toward the center or toward the legacy of John McCain. It's quite the opposite. It's a battle to be a foot soldier for President Trump that's playing out in the Republican primary. It's quite a late primary, by the way. It's end of August in, in, in Arizona, so they have a lot of time to figure it out. And you have the basically the entire Republican establishment, including... Donald Trump, which I think as president of the United States, can we now call him part of the Republican establishment? I think so. Maybe even maybe even a conservative. He's going to be at CPAC, so yes, we'll see. Yes. <laughs> True C- conservative, C-PAC. we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Conservatism but, but, has moved but, toward him, perhaps. But but all lined up uh, in favor of Martha McSally, so yeah. we'll, we'll see how that plays out. All right, that is all the time we have now for Powerhouse Politics. Our thanks to Avery Miller, David Ryan, and the entire Powerhouse Politics team. We will be back next week, if not sooner. 